Christy and I, we were in China meeting our daughter for the very first time, and so we couldn't be here uh, for that weekend. But last time, you had an opportunity to meet someone who was up on that screen. You had a chance to meet Olive, a young woman who was living in a dangerous place where her friends were being recruited to be trained to become child soldiers. Then God, by his grace, rescued her, put her in a local church where she could be provided and protected for And God, by his grace, she is now working as a social worker, serving kids and families, all because someone sponsored her. You see, Westwood exists to invest in people who will impact their world for Jesus. Jesus is our true north, and he has commissioned his church with the task of the Great Commission. And as the church, we get to join Jesus in his mission of seeing people all over the world come to faith in Christ and to follow him. You see, disciple making is the mission that Jesus left for us. And so as we survey the world, there are millions of people in desperate need of Jesus, many living in extreme poverty. And the question I have to ask myself is, how? How can we as a faith family make disciples of all nations, serve the poor, care for the least of these, and champion the local church? The answer is to leave an edge. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23. God's people have been slaves in Egypt up to this point. They have been suffering under the bondage of a hard-hearted Pharaoh. God, by his grace and for his glory, delivers them out of Egypt under the leadership of Moses. They cross the Red Sea on on dry land. And now that they're free from Egyptian bondage, God calls Moses up on Mount Sinai to give him instructions for how God's people are to live. As a newly formed nation, they did not have laws. They did not know how they were to relate with one another. They did not know how to worship the Lord the way that he has designed them to do so. So we get to the book of Leviticus, a book that's focused on Levites, the tribe of Levi, the priests who help teach God's people how to keep God's law and lead them in worship. Well, in Leviticus 23, God has instituted different feasts and celebrations to help God's people remember his faithfulness, but also to point forward to their ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. For example, in Leviticus 23, verses four through eight, we see the Passover. It's the annual feast, remembering how the angel of death passed over the homes of the Jewish people in Egypt and for those who had the blood of a lamb applied to their doors. Well, Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and eternal death passes over all who trust in him and his shed blood on the cross. Leviticus 23 verse 10 talks about the feast of first fruits. It's a celebration, thanking God for what he has provided. Passover lambs were sacrificed on the first day of Passover and the feast of first fruits was celebrated on the third day. What does that sound like? You see, Jesus, the Passover lamb, was resurrected on the third day. He is the first fruits from among the dead. He is the first one to resurrect, and he is the first of a great harvest that will one day be resurrected to eternal life. 
In Leviticus 23, 15, the Lord commands his people to celebrate the Feast of Weeks, counting seven weeks or 50 days from the Feast of First Fruits. And they were to bring the first harvest of grain to the Lord. Well, 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus, Pentecost, the first harvest. The Holy Spirit falls upon God's people. Peter stands up to preach and 3,000 people come to faith in Christ the same day as the Feast of Weeks. So you see throughout the book of Leviticus and even throughout the entire Old Testament, it's driving you to Jesus. It's pointing us to the person and work of Christ. Well, as God is initiating the Feast of Weeks in verses 15 and following, he's also thinking about the poor. The Lord is thinking about the sojourner and he commands his people to leave an edge. Look with me at Leviticus 23, verse 22. The Lord said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. God commands his people to leave an edge in order to care for the poor. As believers, we too are to create margin in our lives to care for the poor. Notice in the text, these four directives of what leaving an edge looks like. I want you to see the first is when you leave an edge. It's when you leave an edge. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land. That word for when, it communicates expectation. When gathering their crops, God expects his people to leave an outside edge around the harvest of their land. When Israel was to go into the promised land, they were to leave a perimeter around their crops. Instead of gathering the food for themselves or selling it for profit, they were to create margin in their harvest for the good of the poor. Now, the margin that they left was not their offering to the Lord. Okay, this is separate from the offering that they made to the temple. You see, when they gather with God's people, the text tells us that they would bring their offering to, verse 16, to the Lord. Verse 17, to the Lord. Verse 18, to the Lord. Before the Lord, verse 20, the people were bring their, their best offerings to the Lord. They were to be, verse 16, new grain. And verse 17, fine flour. First fruits to the Lord. They were to bring an unblemished animal for sacrifice, verse 18, which meant that they were giving their best to the Lord. Hear me, when giving to the Lord, Christ followers follow God's lead to give our best. Just as the Lord called Israel to give their first roots, to give him their best, so too are we to give God our best, not our leftovers, not the part of us that's weak. We don't tip poorly. No, no, no. We are people who are generous with our money, our time, our resources. We give God our best. Why? Because he gave us his best, his one and only son. You see, the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see God giving us his best. He gives us his son. He gives us himself. and says, I wanna show you what generosity looks like. I wanna show you what giving your best looks like. Look at Jesus. 
So when we, we come and we present our offerings to the Lord, we give our, our best. It's an expectation, verse 22. But I also want you to see in the text that the passage not only tells us when you leave an edge, but secondly, how you leave an edge. How you leave an edge. Verse 22, you are not to reap all the way to the edge of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. The Lord is instructing Israel how to create margin. He's coaching up Israel how to leave extra harvest behind for the sake of caring for the poor. Now, this is the second time that the Lord has given this command to his people. You go back to Leviticus 19, verse 9 and 10. When you reap the harvest of your land, you are not to reap to the very edge of your field or to gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not strip your vineyard bare or gather its fallen grapes. Leave them for the poor and the resident alien. I am the Lord your God. We see this practically lived out in the life of Ruth. When she returns to Bethlehem with Naomi and she needs to provide for her and her mother-in-law, what does she do? She goes to the field of Boaz, who is fulfilling Leviticus 19 and Leviticus 23. He leaves an edge. He leaves the food that falls to the ground for the poor and for the sojourner. And along comes Ruth, who gleans and picks up the food in order to provide for her and her mother-in-law. Well, here in verse 22, these edges were left so that sojourners and the poor might have something to eat. The family farm turns into a community food bank. It's a way of blessing the poor. So the question is, okay, we're supposed to leave an edge. How much? Like how much of an edge are we supposed to, le to leave? Well, the scripture doesn't say. God does not give a specific measurement of how much we are to leave. He doesn't say leave an acre. He doesn't say leave a five yard perimeter around your property. He doesn't say that at all. The generosity is up to you. So the question is, how much margin should I leave? I think the better question is, how much do you want to be blessed? In Acts chapter 20, verse, 40, verse 35, the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When you give to others, you are the one who is blessed. You see, God loves to bless those who bless others. God gives good gifts, not for us to hoard to ourselves, but for the sake of being a conduit through which we can be a blessing to others. You see, and once you realize that all of your blessings, seen and unseen, ultimately, they're not for you. They're ultimately for the good of your neighbor and for the glory of God. You see, we give generously out of love for God and out of love for neighbor because God first loved us in Christ. You see, the gospel propels generosity. When you see what God has done for you in Christ through crushing his son at the cross for the forgiveness of your sins, that through Christ you're adopted and forgiven and redeemed and ransomed. You belong to God both now and forever through the ministry and work of Jesus, through his death and through his resurrection. How can we not be generous? How can we not be a people who gladly and willingly out of the overflow of the bounty that God has provided for us, bless the nations? 
That's what we see here. The heartbeat of God. Isn't it interesting that right in the middle, as we see God laying out all of these festivals and celebrations in Leviticus 23 for God's people to keep, here is God. He's thinking about the poor. He's thinking about the sojourner, the resident alien. He is thinking about those who do not have. Westwood, we are of people who are to be generous because we have received the most generous gift of all, God's one and only son. You see, the gospel compels you to leave an edge around your finances. We do this as a church. As a faith family, when you present your tithes and offerings, we have this budget and we have dollars set aside in which we get to bless the poor. Christy and I, we we do this in our own family budget. We have dollars set aside in which we leave an edge. We wanna be a blessing to the poor. We wanna find ways to be generous to others in the same way that God has been generous to us. So beloved, leave space in your personal finances to be a blessing. So in the text, we see the when, we see the how, but number three, I want you to see the who, who you leave an edge for. Verse 22, the Lord says, leave them for the poor and the resident alien. You see, the edge that Israel was to put around their harvest was to be left for the poor, it's for the sojourner, for the the resident alien, someone who's in town, but It's interesting here that in the midst of how the Lord is listening, how he wants to be worshiped, we see his heart for the poor. You see, throughout scripture, we see that those who are poor are close to the heart of God. Exodus 22, the Lord says, do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. You see, God hears, God sees. God knows the pain of the poor and he does not take kindly to those who take advantage of them. Today, you and I, we get to join God in his protective and providing work through our resources in which we get to join him in helping protect those who can't protect themselves. Psalm 82 verse three, the Lord says, defend the weak and the fatherless. Uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. You see, stewardship includes leveraging influence and affluence for those who have neither. It's a responsibility of those who are in positions of influence and affluence to help those who don't. And God has been so generous to you and I that he has given us influence and affluence and God is calling us to leverage that for the sake of those who don't and can never have that. UNICEF, World Organization Helping Care for the Poor, has said one in five kids does not have enough food. There's plenty of food to go around, but that 20%, they don't have access In the last 60 seconds, 11 children have died under the age of five. You and I get to be a part of helping push back against that. We get to leave an edge. We get to be poverty slayers for the sake of Jesus. We get to join him in his mission of caring for the poor. So Westwood, let me ask you a question. What was the one thing that Jesus said that not even the gates of hell could prevail against? Do you remember what it was? It's the church. One of the reasons I love compassion 
is because it works through the local church. It champions local churches. Because it's through the local church that we see both sustainability and the power of the gospel of fulfilling the Great Commission mandate. The gospel is regularly preached. Kids and families are discipled. The child's needs are met. Each child receives home visits. They're known, they're cared for, they're protected through the local church. Christy and I, we've gotten to experience this and see it firsthand. See, uh, we had the opportunity to sponsor a young girl named Dorcas when she was five years old. Through letters that we've sent back and forth to her, uh, we've discovered she's quiet and she's shy, uh, but she loves to sing and dance with her friends. She loves to jump rope. And last year, while Christy and I, we were in Africa, we had the opportunity to meet her. And it was amazing to see this girl. Sure enough, she's now 12 years old and she is just as she told us she was. She's shy, she's quiet, but she's sweet. And we had a meal together. She gave Christy gifts that her mom had made for Christy. And she even gave us a picture of her family. You see up there, it's her father, John, her mom, Esther. She has five siblings. One couldn't be in the picture because that other child was at school. While we were there at dinner, we were presented a file, a lot of documents in this really big folder. When we got and looked inside this file, was every single letter we had written her. All of her doctor's visits were recorded. Every dollar that we had given to help support her, every birthday gift that we had given her was registered there. Inside were all of her report cards and, and the progression that she was making. It's amazing um, having that time to, to be there with her. While we were also there in East Africa, we went to Ethiopia, a nation that's very near and dear to our hearts because two of our sons were born there. And while we were there, we had the opportunity to visit the home uh, of a young girl while we were there, this grandmother, who's raising her grandchildren, uh, provided us with a meal. She gave us her best. In fact, she saved all of her money and provided for us a meal that was a week's worth of expense to her just to feed us. It's a huge honor. While we were there, we saw this precious little girl, um, and she was begging for someone to sponsor her. And so we, we talked with her, we talked with her grandmother, and we went to our compassion leader, and we said, hey, we, we'd be willing to, to sponsor her. And they said, well, we'll look into it. And I thought, okay, a few days, maybe a week later, we'll hear something. About five months go by, and we didn't hear anything. And finally, they got back with us, and they said, yeah, well, you, can, you can sponsor her now. And I said, why did it take so long? And they said, we do our due diligence. We want to make sure that the money's going to go where it's going to go. We wanted to make sure that she was not being provided for through another agency. And so we want to make sure that every child is a honest, real person and that the money that you are going to entrust to us will really go where, you say, where, we, where we say it's going to go. And I thought, well, I appreciate that. That's, that's who they are. And so as an organization, I've been so encouraged to see how the Lord uses this Ministry, And so we started sponsoring Batania, and we now send her letters and pictures and Christmas gifts and birthday presents because it's a relationship. 
In fact, every night at dinner, we pray for Paris and Dorcas and Batania. They're part of our family, and they are prayed for every night by our family when we sit down for dinner. You see, um, today you have the opportunity to, to get in on this for $38 a month. Your child that you sponsor can receive food, clean water, medical care, educational opportunities, life skills training, the gospel, age-appropriate Bible teaching, encouragement to grow in a relationship with God, a place where they are known, loved, and cared for. This is not just a feeding program. This is a relationship in which you get to intentionally and strategically pour into a, a young child and their family. Okay, so why, why compassion? Compassion is Christ-centered. They're church-based. They're child-focused. They work through the local church. They champion through the local church. In 2008, when the economy was tanking, there were many nonprofits that were struggling financially. And some of them softened their stance on the gospel and began minimizing how much they wanted to talk about Jesus. Well, it's in that moment that compassion doubled down on Jesus. They said, we're going to make everything about Jesus. In fact, they even put it in their title, Compassion, Releasing Children from Poverty in Jesus' Name. And it was amazing at that moment, it's like the Lord just placed his hand upon this organization. This is why we as a faith family, Westwood, I talk about Jesus a lot. We are a Jesus people. And I believe God's hand rests upon organizations and churches that make much of his son. And this is what Compassion did. Some really cool stories. So currently in Haiti, there is a young man in parliament who grew up in poverty. And through the sponsorship of someone in compassion, he's now potentially going to one day become prime minister. Poverty, the parliament, to potentially prime minister. While Christy and I, when we were in Ethiopia, there was a guy who was working at the hotel and he saw a, a compassion t-shirt on uh, on someone in the group that we were with. And he said, why are you wearing that shirt? And they said, well, we're, we're pastors and we're, we're from America and we're here with compassion. And he said, I was a compassion child. And we said, what? He said, because of compassion, I got to go to school and I'm now the manager of this hotel. Compassion changed my life. And we had no idea. It's just amazing story after story of how God has used this organization. In fact, I've got a picture of four teenagers that I met while I was over there. Sharp, 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 sharp. We met them. They were impressive. They had graduated from the Compassion Project. All four of these grew up in extreme poverty, in dangerous neighborhoods. Some of them lost family members and parents. They were struggling for food, and then today, now all of them, they love Jesus. They're serving their local church. One of them is studying to become a doctor. One of them is now in England pursuing his master's. One is training to become a pastor. The girl in the middle, her name is Johanna. She is now a biochemist. And oh, if you could just hear the stories in which they wept over lunch as they talked about how Jesus has rescued them from their sin and how, they've, how Jesus has changed their life, and now that they're being educated and equipped, they're now going back into their communities to serve those who don't have. They're now pouring themselves back into the compassion ministry. 
So when you, when you leverage your resources, when you leave an edge, you're not only just being a doer of the word, you're caring for the least of these. And you are the one who's getting blessed. And God is getting the glory. Fourthly, I want you to see why you should leave an edge. Verse 22, I am the Lord your God. The Lord is reminding his people, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. I am the one who has brought you out of slavery. I am the one who's provided for you a future. I'm the one who's never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. I'm the one who makes promises and keeps promises. And I am reminding you of who I am. Westwood, because God loves you, he has brought you out of slavery to sin. He's a future for you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He has made promises to you and God always keeps his promises. And he's reminding you this morning of who he is and what he has done for you in the gospel. I am the Lord, your God, and I have brought you out of destruction and wrath and judgment because of the work of my son at the cross. And now in him and through him, you are rescued and you are redeemed. You have been ransomed and you now belong to me both now and forever. You bear my name. You are my son and my daughter and you are mine both now and forever. I'm gonna take out of you the heart of stone and put in you the heart of flesh. And now I'm gonna do through the work of my spirit, give you a desire to obey. Not a have to, you want to. You want to join Jesus on his mission of caring for the least of these. And so Westwood, as we think about these brief lives that God has given to us, you and I have an opportunity in which we get to join Jesus on impacting thousands of people for the sake of the gospel. And so now as we think about, okay, so Kenneth, we've, we've read the word. What are you calling us to do? It's the impact point in this. It's this, let's release kids from poverty in Jesus' name by leaving an edge. As you think about your personal finances, as you think about your business, you think about ways where you can leverage your resources for the sake of the gospel. What an opportunity in which you leave an edge for the poor and for the sojourner. And now you have an opportunity to join Jesus on pushing back against lostness. Out in the atrium, and out in our front parking lot, you're gonna have opportunities in which you can sponsor a child. What's interesting, on all of Compassion's documents, they have this blue square. This is their reminder to leave an edge, to remember those who do not have access. And so in just a minute, I'm gonna pray. And while I pray, you may be praying right now, Lord, what are you calling me to do? Is this something that you want me to be a part of? We're gonna take up our offering and we're gonna give God our best, our first fruits. This is an opportunity to impact a lot of people. And so there's gonna be tables out in the atrium. I wanna encourage you to stop by and to prayerfully consider how you might join Jesus in leaving an edge.